Hello and welcome to another wonderful, spectacular, holy curricular episode of Normandy FM. Ken, I'm here to please you. I'm here to make you happy this week. No more well, will I pester you for joy. You for and get- I'm just kidding. I'm going to mess with Ken. Y'all know that. <laughs> As always, I am one of your co-hosts here, Eric Van Allen, alongside Kenneth Shepard. And joining us this week for the first time, Kean Marr is here to join us on the podcast to talk about Cole. How are you doing today, Kean? Oh, good, yeah. Uh, a little bit tired. It's fucking 20 to 12 here, but, you know, I'm ready to talk about the ghost boy. And see where we go from there the mysterious ghost boy the the wonderful i mm. i gotta tell you like straight up we had difficulty finding people that wanted to talk about the ghost boy um ironically i guess fitting to the character even uh a lot of people just found him forgettable forgot he was in this game mm. um so i i wanted to start off with uh why was why was this an episode you want to talk about? What like appeals to you uh, with Cole as a character, or doesn't? Or doesn't? Yeah, I mean, if you got hot takes about why you don't like Cole, let loose with it. Yeah, well, I mean, like you know, as you said there, like Cole being forgettable is like that is the entire premise of his character, and like at least you know for the first half of Inquisition that he's there is. His whole deal is that he wants to help people, he can feel their pain, he can read their thoughts or whatever, and he goes over, he helps them. You actually see in one uh, scene where it doesn't work, so he makes them forget and tries again. Um, and if you interrupt him doing that, he like you know you get the cold, greatly disapproves thing. Um, mm-hmm. But that is such a fundamental part of his character for the first half, and the whole thing, if he stays as a spirit, is that everybody forgets him. The only people who don't really are in the Inquisition itself and even then they do like he, he puts honey in Neliana's wine and then just makes her forget and walks away it's really strange um, but you know yeah I, th- I think he is written in that way like uh, I've read that Patrick Weeks because David Gator wrote the character of Cole for Asunder as far as I know and then mm. for Inquisition it was Patrick Weeks and he said he was by far the most difficult uh, companion to write in the entire game um and I think a lot of that difficulty probably does boil down to that he is emphatically forgettable because it's part of the character. Um, which, you know, is probably a strength when you're looking at character writing from a disinterested perspective as opposed to actual investment in someone for whether, like, you know, you love or hate them. Um, mm. Which is probably why I, I think he's a really, really worthwhile character in the game. And the fact that people forget or don't care that much is a testament to the fact that they've succeeded in a large way. I do also think, and like, you know, this is kind of me spinning off of that. Um, I think for people who've like, you know, played Inquisition once or something, or like, you know, they find a way that they like to play and as opposed to like experimenting around, they replay it in the same fashion each time. Uh, I think it's very easy, especially if you've like picked Spirit Cole to think that he's kind of redundant and not interesting. But if you choose to make him human and, uh, you know, replay again and kind of go through all of his quests and dialogue in hindsight with like that in mind he's a lot more endearing and uh he's a much nicer character to be around i actually think he's some of the like funniest dialogue in the game Um, which we can get into later if you want but there are there are some things that like even if i read them now i will still laugh at because nothing else in the game especially with like bull and dorian Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah I, i think like going into this week 
I was definitely like dreading the idea of talking about Cole and and getting into this character because I just like it's not even a character like it's easy to talk about something you like it's easy to talk about something you dislike but talking about a character that just doesn't really spur either emotion from you and it's just kind of this baseline almost is really difficult and that's where I feel Cole is is he's he's a character that I think is interesting in concept but I don't know if like solely from Inquisition um and we can talk about the Asunder tie-ins and stuff uh later on but I think solely in Inquisition I'm not sure I really got the full like execution of what they were trying to go for um and also like from a gameplay perspective just because Ken and I have been like playing through the game right now um Cole is not a character I frequently, like, feel the desire to put into my party, like, in mm. general. I mean, I am playing a rogue, so that already doesn't help. But he feels like a character that I rarely have a reason, like, narratively to put into my mm. party. Because he doesn't feel like he has a strong tie to any faction or storyline yeah. or anything like that outside his own. I don't know if you had any similar experiences, Ken. Uh, I mean, I, I play a mage, like, it's not redundant to my party in that way, but it is just, like, there are more interesting rogues. There are more ones that, like, I know we're going to have, like, insight into the things that we're doing at any time. Um, and I think even, like, like Susie's a spirit, you think, like, oh, maybe I should take him into the Fade, but, like, there are several other characters who have more ties to what we're doing, like, immediately. Um, so, like, I don't feel like bringing him there either. Um, it's just a... I like the concept of this character that is trying to figure out whether, like, where exactly he falls in the line between spirit and living thing. But I just feel like, in the grand scheme of Inquisition, he just kind of feels very, like, inconsequential in a way that most characters don't. Like, we even talked about when we got to the uh, the Templar mission where you recruit him if you go that route. Uh, and he was kind of, you know, tertiary to that as well. Like, he just kind of happens to be there. That is the the, pla- the place they decided to put him, whereas Dorian had, like, very strong ties to the mage uh, side. Um, so he just kind of feels like a tie-in character that they made a kind of, like, not super consequential role for, just to, like, kind of have him there. Uh, and, like, like, almost like he would have been a better kind of, like, side character rather than somebody that they dedicated, like, all of the... Uh, resources into making him a party member Mm. well it's it's weird like to even think about resources because like to to go over what we're just going to talk about today like he has really one quest um there there was another one that was listed when we went looking for kind of what his general companion stuff is which is one we actually already talked about when we got back to skyhold the first time we talked about cole um, helping one of the soldiers who was in pain and kind of soothing them. And as you talk to Cole around Skyhold, you know, gradually he's kind of getting up to various hijinks. You know, he's doing these different things, um, like he mentioned, where it's, uh, you know, he goes up to this nurse who's just fraught and, like, feels tons of guilt over not being able to save somebody, and it's, like, reflecting part of her past. And then he's like oh, I'm going to make her forget. And that's where it kind of starts to sow that seed of should Cole be making people forget and and doing all this kind of spirit stuff or should 
he be acting more, I guess, like a human? Um, because that is like the crux of his character is he's not really human and not really a spirit. And he's kind of foot on either side and it keeps falling to the inquisitor to be the one who says like, no, you're going to be like this or you're Mm. going to be like this. Um, how did you feel about some of this stuff? Uh, Kian, like leading into the the loyalty mission that we eventually have or i keep calling them loyalty missions <laughs> um, <laughs> companion quests or whatever you want to call the inner circle quests um uh, but basically loyalty missions uh but like this idea that cole is this character that is kind of straddling the line and you're always put in this position of deciding which way he should fall yeah, I mean, it, it, it's strange, but I think it, it's useful to like think of the counterfactuals, um, because mm-hmm. if they want a character that's going to be a spirit, like, I mean, well, do you want, like, an envy demon on in the Inquisition? Like, I mean, that wouldn't make very much narrative sense, and I don't think it would be very much fun to have, like, Casper the Friendly Ghost floating around either, like, you know, just being... <laughs> complete goody two-shoes and like cracking really cringy jokes or anything like i mean i think the kind of ambiguity that's steeped in coal like although it's not necessarily enticing to anybody i think it kind of nails the tone that you have to go for if you want to straddle like that line between like you know the real world and the fate um Mm -hmm. and i think like it, it does a remarkable job of doing that as well like this is pushing like way forward and this is quite niche it's probably not really advisable to speak about some of this niche early on but given that like you know you're talking about like you know that kind of tension between you know of the spirit world and of the fade and being like you know partially human as well because that's what you've manifested after the real cold died um like even in, if you look at his like tarot and stuff because I, I i still think the tarot cards are some of the like coolest aspects of inquisition in an artistic mm. sense mm-hmm. and when you look at his original tarot card, it's like this, because some of them are quite, like, some of them are really, really stylish, even the first ones, but Cole's is, like, really grim. It's, um... Yeah, yeah. It, it's just, it's just, like, kind of, like, blood red card, and, like, you can't see his face, it's just, like, kind of vague, like, side expression, and it looks like, like, it looks like, like, the eye in it looks like it was from a Picasso painting or something, it's really surrealist. Mm-hmm. And, um... Even his legs seem to be, like, melting into, like, the surfaces he's standing on. It's really strange. And it has that kind of, just, like, it's, like, I don't know, like, kind of indicative of pain or something. And that, like, you know, he is, like, immersed in, like, you know, these physical objects at the same time while being this kind of ambiguous figure. But then, regardless of, like, you know, well, sorry, depending on whether you go for the spirit side or the human side, I think it has a lot to say about that as well. Because the, the spirit tarot like is sort of like really based on negative space you've got this like sort of um black outline around the border and then there's a lot of uh this like completely blank section of the card you can't even see his hair or anything anymore it's like almost as if like he's sort of like fading into the the like black border and then Mm -hmm. the the human card is him against a completely blank border so like he's like a concrete image in the front of it um I think, like, you know, you saying, like, this kind of thing about how you... About, like, straddling that line. I do think that Inquisition wants you to uh, pursue him, pursue the human route. Um, And I think, like, you know, the tarot is just one small, minor example. Maybe I'm thinking into it too much. But I think once you start considering it from that perspective, it's easier to see that, like, he's not designed to stay in this sort of purgatory between both states forever. And... Mm -hmm. 
I do think it really does nudge you in the direction. And that's where you see some of his best growth as well. Like, that's where he, like, when he yeah. does the knock-knock jokes with Varric and stuff, like, he's like, knock-knock, who's there? Cole, Cole who? It's me, Cole, that's my name. And, like, <laughs> that, like that is so ridiculous. But, like, I'm not going to lie. I played the game and, like, I pissed myself laughing at that. I was like, well, you know, what was what, what was Varric expecting and what was I expecting? Um. So yeah, I kind of went on a bit of a tangent there, but I like I I think that when you whenever you talk about that tension between both states that he sort of embodies simultaneously, I do think personally it's useful to consider that, you know, I think Bioware wrote it like it, neither is canonical, and I think they've said that as well. But I do think they want to constantly to sort of gently subtly nudge people into pursuing the human route. Well, and he he sits in a very interesting place in terms of like I'm glad you brought up the tarot cards and like the idea of him sinking deeper into the fade or, or like kind of being raised out and and raised above that into more of a like mortal outside the fade state because um, one of the things that did strike me about Cole and that I think like makes him interesting in terms of a companion character is that you know this isn't the first time we've had a spirit on the team necessarily you know justice was a character in um why am i suddenly blanking on the name awakening. oh my god awakening thank you i kept thinking like ascension <laughs> or something i was like where is that coming from um we had justice in awakening and then we had anders slash justice in dragon age 2 and both of those times you know the first time it was justice literally inside like a corpse um and uh the second time it was a person merged with a spirit but cole is immediately set apart as like neither one of those things you have a discussion very early on with solace and vivienne where they're going like okay well you know he's not exactly a spirit you know he's he's corporeal and he's here and he doesn't act like a spirit but he also isn't a human he's obviously got spirit abilities and things like that uh they can't really pin down what he is and that ambiguity i think plays on one of the larger themes of dragon age inquisition as a whole in terms of like they're opening up the idea of what the fate is and kind of taking away some of those like uh, more unexplained parts of it and exploring it a little bit more like we saw in Solus's companion quest uh, you know exploring the idea of what makes a demon a demon versus a spirit and and I think Cole touches on some of that stuff in very interesting ways but um, the other half of that is like deciding where he comes down on that uh, feels uh, can, can maybe you can speak a little bit more to this but like how did you feel about the idea of like we are the ones that decide what Cole yeah. is I'm of a few minds of it because one it is at least like coming off of how we just did, we just did all of Mass Effect like coming off of that and seeing how they did the, it's sort of the same thing with Garrus where he like you try to mm -hmm. push him to be a paragon and renegade ultimately and that particular game it meant nothing like Gareth gets reset every game and had the same arc twice and it like still meant nothing by the end where Cole gets to go on these two very distinct journeys so I think from like in terms of like seeing consequence of like your influence I think it is executed fairly well but there is that weird part of me that's like why are we all involved and in, like not even not even involved we are like directly hands-on influencing the direction this character's gonna go. It's not even like a nudging of like, hey, maybe this is a suggestion from us that maybe gives them that moment of like, okay, this is what I'm gonna do. This is uh, 
where I'm coming from, which is why I'm going this route. But now we just straight up like are practically giving him orders, and or giving Varric and Solus orders to do one thing or the other. Um, so like, there's a bit of like skeeviness on that front, where like Cole's not making a decision for himself in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, up until the point where I guess he becomes one or the other, then he's free to kind of choose what he does. But it's not like that's an insignificant choice for him to have to have made through, like, based on what we tell him to do. So I'm not... Like, I, I appreciate the, that they actually, you know, go on with the execution and, like, really make good on that decision, like, make it matter. But the decision itself never really set right with me. I think it's so we should probably talk about like the the actual part where we make the large decision because up to a certain point in Inquisition, you know, you're making kind of a lot of smaller choices where you're encouraging him one way or another and you can't actually get to a point where he disappears of you so much that he leaves. Like he literally just makes you forget that he existed and just pieces out. <laughs> um mm-hmm. which I don't think I've ever had happen to me, but that might also be a case of I just rarely ever make that many choices that Cole disapproves of. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, after we get back from Here Lies the Abyss, uh, Cole is understandably a little shaken because, you know, we literally just saw spirits being chained to Grey Wardens and used as weapons, and so he's going, I don't want it, I don't want that to happen to me. That's that's a bad time. That, that looks pretty bad. Uh, so he's... he's freaking out a little bit and comes to solace and solace is master of all things spirits all things otherworldly um is like i need some way to not have that happen to me and he actually has a line that i thought was a little chilling that shows like how worried he is where you can bring up like hey you know if the mage is powerful enough anyone could get bound and controlled the way that they were and he's like well then we should all bind each other then and i was like cool that's not how that works but <laughs> okay <laughs> um but basically solus uh brings up that there is an amulet uh that mages used to use to protect their spirits from being taken over by other mages which i'm <sighs> I'm just gonna float this out there real quick like solace was all like oh we don't control spirit we don't take control of spirits i don't do blood magic and then like you know like hey you know come on let's let's think of something for me he's like oh well there is a way that mages used to use this amulet to protect their spirits from being taken by other spirits and i was like this is like a pokemon trainer being like well i don't capture pokemon uh, <laughs> but i do have these pokeballs if you're interested um soulless soulless little sus um so we we do a war table operation eventually get this amulet and try to make it work uh but as we find out once Farrick obviously interjects he's like hey uh that doesn't seem like it's working because cole's not really a spirit and not really a human which means he's probably got some stuff he's got to settle and figure out um as we chase this this feeling this inkling down with our new party of solas which by the way this is kind of weird that this all takes place in one really really long cutscene and not mm-hmm. like any any amount of mission like there is no traveling happening here you even automatically teleport from skyhold to redcliffe if you so choose um 
but we we travel with our merry band of Cole, uh, Varric, Solus, and ourselves to where this this inkling, this feeling of Cole's is, and we find a Templar who is trying to buy Lyrium, and we learn that, as Cole says, that is the man that killed Cole, and that's where we make this big shocking discovery that Cole is actually an apostate who died in in the spire in Valroyo. Uh, he was essentially forgotten in the spire uh, and and left to starve. And the coal that we know is kind of a spirit of compassion that came through the fade to try and help. And when uh, real life human coal died, the spirit could not really return. And some sort of magic happens. It's kind of wishy washy on the details. Um, and now we have Cole, who is here and is like part, part former human that has these memories and this these feelings, and obviously the body of apostate Cole. Though weirdly, none of the magic. I guess I didn't really think about how weird that was until now. Um, but also is a spirit and can do spirit things and use spirit powers. Uh, and Cole wants to take revenge. Cole wants to kill this Templar who left his human self for dead um and here we have our 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 ultimatum uh do we you know sola says we should encourage him to forgive because that's what a spirit of compassion would do and it will encourage him to be more of a spirit meanwhile varick's like well we're not gonna actually kill the guy but we should let cole like vent some of his frustrations here and deal with it like a person and not just forgive and move on um so up front keen what did you think of this this confrontation here and like the way that they put these arguments forward because for me like it was kind of weird how varic is like oh yeah we're not going to kill the guy no but he does need to you know work out some frustrations wink wink nudge nudge and like pulls out the crossbow and all that (laughs) um (laughs) it was like it was a very strange like I, i guess i felt weird that we have this decision about cole that is being made by the Inquisitor and informed by two other characters that are not Cole. Like, it seems like Cole barely factors into any of the information that you're getting here leading up to this choice. Um, well, to be honest, um, I-, I think, like, you know, Varric is king. I'd usually go with Varric <laughs> for most things. Um, <laughs> the only character I probably like more than Varric is Dorian. Um, but in general... Um, I, I'll pretty much go with the flow of what and absolutely anything Varric wants to do in the game because I just think he's he's chill and he has his head screwed onto his shoulders and you know he knows what the sus is. Um, also, as you said earlier, like I mean, I like Solus a lot, but Solus is definitely sus sometimes. Um, also, I think that Cole knows like before anybody else does like who Solus really is. Like it, there's a lot of dialogue in the game that hints at that. Um, and I think Zelda's like you know as much as he's like you know oh I'm the spirit friend and I love spirits more than anything and I know more than you do Varric I think he's like oh shit if, like you know if, if we let Cole become more human maybe he's gonna tell people that I'm the fucking Dreadwolf um, mm-hmm. and I, I think that definitely plays into it like I mean uh, I have something up here there's a, there's a conversation from earlier on um, and Cole says something like you didn't do it to be right, you did it to save them. 
and the Inquisitor goes, Solus, what is Cole talking about? Solus is a mistake, one of many made by a much younger elf who was certain he knew everything. And Cole says, you weren't wrong, though, and Solus says, thank you, Cole. And it's also ambiguous, and like, I think it's talking about, like, you know, that kind of, like, you know, sort of apocryphal betrayal of the ancient elven mm-hmm. gods that, like, you know, Solus is associated with. Anyway, I think, you know, Solus has other reasons for that, and it's not just because he's like, oh, Cole is a, is a spirit of compassion. It's because he knows he's going to be completely fucking fucked up eventually as soon as Cole kind of goes more human. Also, Varric treats Cole like a kid because he's very childlike and innocent. And, you know, that kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge, I'll give him the crossbow, but it's going to jam. Like, you know, I don't really see much of an issue with that because Cole gets a satisfaction because the intent is there, but he doesn't actually have the guilt accompanied with actually fucking doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, I think it's by far the better decision and as I've already said I mean like you know I'm more for human human path for Cole anyway because um, I think it allows him to actually grow um, and I think it's really sad to see him when he becomes a spirit because like you know if you go up to him and call him Cole he's like oh you can call me that if you want and even if you go when he goes as far as trespasser and stuff I think it really shines like you know it really oh, yeah. shines what Bioware wanted you to do with regards to Cole because the, the, those two sections are so disparate from one another and it is very clear which one he's happier in um, mm-hmm. like you know it's either like is it is it where is it is it in Valroyo or is it somewhere else um, um I forget where but yeah it's Winter with Palace. the it's the Winter Palace oh it is yeah. it's the Winter Palace yeah 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 and there's the noble sitting there and he gets him to stand up so he can feed the birds because you know he's mm-hmm. fucking cold um, what else is he going to do? He's going to trick people into getting up so he can feed birds. And then, you know, either he sets up, um, is it uh, Maradine? Um, yeah, yeah, the, the singer from the tavern. Yeah, the bard. Either he sets her up with someone else or, you know, the two of them get together. And he seems so happy when the two of them get together. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, like, in the post-game codex, it says that, like, you know, the two of them just kind of knock about Thetis now and kind of go around making people smile and they're happy out um, but yeah I, I've gone on a tangent again like you know you were asking me if I like you know what I thought about Varric versus Solus uh, yeah uh, Varric all the way man Varric for like every decision in, in Inquisition um, mm-hmm. like you know I'll put that in my fucking tombstone like you know Varric <laughs> is king um, but yeah I also think Varric's a really useful um character for understanding Cole especially if you go down that route um, because mm-hmm. like I can't imagine Varric is like oh I'd love to go for a fucking beer with Cole but you know he'd do it because like he sees that like this is someone who's really trying and he knows he can help him and he again like he he kind of sees him like like a kid who's like part of the Inquisition and he knows how easy it is to kind of help him out a little bit that's where the knock knock jokes and stuff come back into it I think when you look at his ba- like his banter with Varric, Iron Bull, and Dorian, is like really what makes him a good character. And I think that's because I used Cole a lot when I played Inquisition because the first time I ever played Inquisition, I wanted to get the platinum before I even started it. So I started my first playthrough on Nightmare, and mm. it was fucking hard, man. And I was yeah, just like, yeah. "What the fuck is going on?" And then I was playing um, a rogue archer, which is really not that good until like you know you get your second skill tree um, 
because then you get thousand cuts, which is arguably like you know the most overpowered ability in the entire game. Oh, oh yeah, um, yeah. I just hit that point in my playthrough where I'm playing a dual dagger arch or rogue, and uh, that that also does not really take off for me until later. I feel like rogue is like a back lo- like back end loaded character. Oh, for sure, and. But against that, like, you know, I used, like, I played the Rogue Archer. I would usually, I brought Dorian everywhere because he's the best. And then <laughs> I used to bring Varric because he's, like, one of my favorites. But Cole is just so much more effective, I find, in especially in higher difficulties. Because he does, he goes down a lot, but he deals so much damage. Especially, yeah. like, I didn't like Blackwall that much, but he's, like, the best tank in the game. So I brought him everywhere. And he just like aggros all the damage and Cole is just fucking about in the background just absolutely smashing everybody and I think mm-hmm. but because I had him and Dorian on basically every single mission I heard like every single line of banter they have and it's brilliant it's genuinely like I think a lot of people who if, if I think a, a lot of people don't use Cole because they think he's boring and weird but then when you use him that that impression totally changes I think the takeaway I'm getting from all this is like it feels kind of like Cole is a character that really boosts up whoever is around him mm-hmm. and boosts up like whoever he's with. Um, and that kind of feels like the, the double-edged sort of what this character is, is that he's fascinating in the presence of other characters where he can kind of inform their lore a bit and push that characterization a bit more. But um, Ken, like, how are you feeling about Cole at, at this point in time? Uh, so, I ended up also like siding with Varric, and my sort mm-hmm. of reasoning behind that was, as much as Solus wants to be like a certain, oh, this is a spirit, and spirit's supposed to embody one thing, the fact that he has like a multitude of emotions about things means he clearly has ascended to something more, um, and I don't feel like invalidating that pain and anger that he has is kind of like the right move. So, mm. that was why I was like, okay, let him think that he's about to kill the Templar, and maybe deal with the influx of emotions that happens there. Um, I do agree, though, that, like, I like I never used Cole as a, as a party member. Like, I never had the need to, even at the point, like, you know, where you recruit him in the Templar, stuff because I didn't do that side. But I do, I have found myself, like, multiple times over the years, um, going and, like, finding like, YouTube montages of all of his banter, just because mm-hmm. he is like you said, a character that gives you, like, an extra step of, like, understanding of everybody, just because, like, he's, and I guess he's kind of invasive, I guess, and, like, there are a lot of, uh, a lot of dialogue where people are, like, telling him, hey, hey, get the fuck out of my head, but, I mean, mm-hmm. he, he says what he does, and it is, so it is out there, and it is just kind of, like, adding more to each of these characters that almost, this is a very weird comparison to make, but, like, Lair of the Shadowbroker had a similar thing where like there was like a step like a step of yeah, invasiveness yeah. to the lore that we learned through that. But uh you know being detached from it and you know, outside of the world and just like uh understanding all these characters from the the viewpoint of a player slash viewer, whatever, um, is interesting. Um But I do like I I do kind of feel like that is to his own detriment because a lot of the times he's talking about other people than, rather than himself. Like, you know, we do have scenes after this actual quest that kind of, like, get a sense of where he feels in the world and how he's adjusting, like, if he is uh, becoming more human, how he's kind of adjusting to being perceived in ways that he's not normally, because 
when he has to kind of like let people see him. Because we have the scene where we take him to a, a restaurant in Valrio, and like the the guy at the door like greets him and like acknowledges that he's there, and he's immediately weirded out by that. And um, mm-hmm. as you're sitting there, he just kind of like realizes, I think I'm okay with people seeing me now. Um, mm. Yeah, it's. I think this Cole can ultimately end up being one of the most tragic characters in Inquisition as well because. Um, like all three of us, it sounds like took the Varric option and and you know did the thing that makes him more human. And I think for us, like obviously, <laughs> this sounds weird to say, but we do have a bias in terms of like we are human and we would want to work through these things that way. I think whereas like the idea of a spirit is that they are just like the unrelenting force of a certain emotion, and so that can almost seem alien at times when we're looking at like oh yeah you just forgive them because that's what the compassion spirit does that's what they do and there's definitely like ulterior motives that solace has there but it's also like the same way that justice is just the never-ending feeling of requiring justice and then eventually becomes vengeance and like an unending thirst for vengeance um but i think turning cold that way can ultimately become this very like tragic story because not only like i feel like the positive they pose for that is that if you make him more spirit-like the amulet will work for certain whereas if you make him more human there's like a lingering feeling of oh well maybe corypheus can corrupt him maybe cole's going to turn on you because of this and you know like varic kind of plays it off like maybe he's too human now for that magic to work on him and that problem is solved or whatever but um later on uh in in not really like a quest or anything just a dialogue that you can have with cole and skyhold uh you can talk to him on the battlements about just like death and and what death means and uh if you turned him into a spirit he makes the decision to like forget all of his memories as a mortal and basically just like completely wipe that side of himself away mm. and that ultimately leads into his trespasser stuff and all that where he's like well yep i'm just a spirit now and i'm going to drift into the fade and be where i'm needed and all that kind of stuff whereas if you turn him human he starts to really grapple with that side of himself and tries to remember those things and tries to have like a more lasting permanent impact on the world than like this fleeting moment to moment impact and so honestly like it feels really like this stuff is all stuff that i never saw in my original playthrough because i just again i thought cole was forgettable (laughs) in my first playthrough um but it feels really weird to say that like if you go a certain route this character can be a really really tragic character (laughs) if you Mm -hmm. if you go the spirit route um i don't know how you felt about kian but yeah, I feel the exact same way. Um, as in, I do think like you know, pretty much every single dialogue you have a call after pursuing the spirit path is is pretty sad. Um, there's it's it's either like, cause, cause there's a lot of pathos in in Cole either way, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Right right from the get go, he's he's a pretty tragic character. Um, but for the most part, that's replaced with sort of like a newfound kind of like hope for him because like you know he's still naive but he's growing um when you you make him human and 
I think the sort of pathetic nature of him kind of goes away then. Whereas when he's a spirit, like I know that like, you know, that's what he's supposed to be and that's what he originally was. And, you know, once you make that decision, he seems, to, but he doesn't seem to be happy about it either, does he? He just seems to be like, kind of like disinterestedly content um, that like he's fulfilling the purpose he was originally like, you know, I don't know, spirits are obviously born or created or something, but like whatever it was, he seems like, you know, he's happy out because he's doing what he's supposed to do. But you get to see him, like, as you said, really grapple with shit when, when he goes down the human path. And, you know, it's more reflective sort of of real life as well, because you see him grapple with stuff and be scared and, you know, get upset and get really worried. And, but then you also see him like experience moments of genuine happiness. Um, I, I might be wrong, but I think that if you make him human, he won't come to fight Corypheus with you because he'll only go if he has the amulet. Um, right, right. Uh, I could be wrong there, but I made him human. I don't think he'd come with me. Um, mm. now, the last time I played was about two years ago, but I think I'm remembering right there. Um, which is like, you know, he, he doesn't like kind of buy Varric's thing that like, oh, you're too human now, you're fine. Um, also, like there is, uh, you, it might be the same conversation you were speaking about earlier on, but when he's talking about Corypheus, like you can see how terrified he is because he's like he was dead and now he's back and he just doesn't really understand it um Mm -hmm. but um what was your original question (laughs) i was just saying like (laughs) i was saying like what did you think of him just being this like potentially tragic character but also like i don't know is that i feel like he ultimately like cole ends up posing an interesting question in terms of like is that tragic for him to have that fate like he yes he loses pieces of his mortal self when he becomes the spirit form but also like he is doing the thing that he was originally you know doing before he got tangled up in all this coal mess it's um it's it it's weird it's like it's a weird ethical question that i think cole poses that i'm not sure if there is like there's there's stuff that we can feel you know in our gut is right or wrong but it's harder to point at it in the same way that like iron bull like yeah you save the freaking chargers in iron bull's companion quest because you're not a monster but um with cole i feel like this is one of the places where they managed an ethical gray that really Mm -hmm. does feel gut-wrenching either way i don't think it's gut-wrenching when you go the human way though i really don't um but he is kind of like moving like is that putting undue strain upon him as a person having to remember all this stuff and also like having to go against his nature as a spirit too, like becoming mortal and reliving all these past traumas that he had as, as Cole, the person. Yeah. It's, it's interesting as well, because like, I don't even know, like when you make him human, I don't even know if he's called the person like Cole, the apostate that died. I don't think he's, I think making him human and like, you know, this is like, you know, I'm putting my tinfoil hat on here and, (laughs) but, um, because like the one thing like when you when you look at um Cole the apostate like that died uh, at the spire so mm-hmm. what happens there is he's forgotten about and he starves to death um it's it's actually like you know it's it's been said that like while he was there he wished so hard to for people to forget about him to people forget he existed whatever and then it happened and then the sec like pretty much like you know the day he died the guard, the Templar you see in Inquisition remembers, and they go, and he's he's dead. And it's like, you know, it's almost as if he, like, because he was an apostate, and he was a hedge mage, so he didn't, like, you know, 
he didn't necessarily know how to use magic even it, it just manifested occasionally um and that's why his his dad went for him and that's how like you know the Templars found him and etc um but it's almost as if like you know I think as opposed to that being a power of the spirit of compassion I think that was inherited from Cole because that's the only manifestation of magic we see in Cole the apostate story is and even though it's like you know again tinfoil hat on he wished that they'd forget about him but it happens and then as soon as he dies and like you know obviously that magic is not potent anymore the Templar in question remembers, feels bad about it, leaves the Templars, and then you see him in Inquisition, and he's felt guilty about it ever since for years. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been getting, like, lyrium off the black market and stuff like that just to feed his stuff, a lot like other characters we've seen in the story so far. Yeah, and then as soon as as soon as soon you make the decision for Cole to become more of a human, he loses that, which is pretty much, like, the only connection he had to the apostate, because... The only reason he knows about, like, Cole's past traumas in terms of, like, you know, with his own dad and his dad, like, you know, attacking his mom and stuff like that is because mm-hmm. Cole the human told him before he died. Whereas the stuff at, like, Reese and Evangeline and stuff, that was the spirit who experienced that. That was not Cole mm-hmm. for before. Um, a lot of what defines his character, especially if you go the human route, is stuff that's transpired since the real Cole died. I think that as soon as you put him down the human route, I think it, like, severs the tie. Because, again, he didn't possess his body. He just sort of, like, manifested a physical form based on, like, an ideal image that Cole had conjured. Like, you know, he wanted to have no magical power whatsoever. Um, Mm. So I don't think it's, like... I think when you put him down that that human route, I think that, like, by manifesting in the real world, as opposed to being confined to the Fade, I think that's already, like, an inadvertent step towards sort of not necessarily becoming human, because he's never really human, is he? But he's becoming more attuned to the world that he has involuntarily and yet sort of emphatically summoned himself into. Um... I, I don't know I, th- I think like you know I'm looking at it with a microscope here and again like you know this is just my opinion um, but I do think that in every conceivable way it makes more sense to go down that path and I think that mm-hmm. you know from the second you meet him I think it's already there um, also I want to say as well because it's hilarious um, the first time I, I never saw it with Templars but I accidentally did um, the first time I played and I, <laughs> I, I got I got the Cole introductory scene where he comes in and uh, the Inquisitor's like, oh, you, get off the table. And uh, he's sitting there and he's like, oh, yes, I don't belong here. I'm not a war. And, like, you're just like, immediately, <laughs> that's the first thing he says in the entire game. Like, that's, that's how you will after warn you about, like, Haven. And you're like, what, what am I getting into with this character? And like what Ken said earlier on, I think, like, you know, maybe it could have been great to have him as a sort of supporting character as opposed to a companion. Um, and at that t- at that point, it's still relatively unclear about whether he's going to join the Inquisition or not. But in hindsight, I am really glad that he did because that sort of like absolutely stupid, ridiculous, like you know, just sort of like point blank jokes based on his misinterpretation of very, 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 very obvious and emphatically clear things. Like it still makes me laugh now. I was listening back to Cold Banter today. Um, there's a really funny scene where if you romance Iron Bull, he starts reading your thoughts and like commenting out loud like you know you talking about being in bed with with Iron Bull in front of the entire Inquisition and it's (laughs) it is incredible Um, but yeah Uh, Ken uh, 
where where did you kind of leave off on Cole? Like, what are kind of your your full thoughts on on this character? I think just like in the course of this show, I think I've I feel a little bit elevated on him. I, I mean, we spent like a non insignificant amount of the this season kind of dunking on him and like oh he's forgettable and that is like you know appropriate and also just like a funny thing to say um Mm -hmm. but i think i'm kind of coming around we talked a little a bit about this with varic as well it's like there are a lot of characters in inquisition that are like larger than life and that they have like these long-standing impacts on the world of dragon age in ways that cole doesn't and i think maybe it's just an issue of like comparing him to like dorian cassandra iron bull like all these characters that are like kind of like establishing themselves as mainstays in the series mm-hmm. maybe it's just you know putting him side to side next to that he doesn't come off as strong but i think uh just in what we've been talking about i feel like if you kind of put it under a microscope if you kind of don't get like so into like his place in the larger story of dragon age inquisition which is basically non-existent um there's interesting stuff there i don't think that he necessarily needed to be a companion but i think there, like, there's a moral conundrum here that Dragon Age hasn't really brought up at this point. That is worth discussing, worth you know, worth remembering. <laughs> yeah, I um, even in the course of this episode, I feel like I've gained a greater appreciation for what Cole is. Um, and it, it feels weird because it feels kind of like we're we're pulling stuff out and trying to like squeeze it out of the game at times because i think that overall i'm not sure if inquisition nails how well it puts this in front of the player versus Mm -hmm. how much they have to like seek into it and and put into it like when i when i was thinking about just like who cole is you know we as as keen and i were just discussing like the idea of whether cole is you know is he the spirit is he the person why does you know he has memories of some memories of others like where does he end and the other begin um Mm. and but also the idea of like what what necessarily is a spirit in the world of dragon age we haven't encountered them very often and like now suddenly they're playing a much larger role in the world and so how does how does that change the way we approach those things? Because like justice, as we saw was a totally chill character in some circumstances and a totally not chill character in other circumstances. Um, and so I, it is like, he just poses this really interesting, I think ethical question that other characters don't pose. And, and you know, they all, they all have their own issues in their own way. You know, like iron bull has, dealing with his newfound family versus you know his religion and his race and his culture um cassandra dealing with questions of faith and i think for cole it's just a question of identity and like who who does he want to be in the world and how does that manifest um so i think ultimately like maybe my ultimate feeling on cole is that he's a character i wish was explored more and did have more because like going again going back through like he has probably next to varic some of the slimmest like side quest stuff of any character Mm. um and he definitely feels like a character that as i was talking about before like a lot of his banter and stuff serves 
exposition for other characters, which informs who he is as a character, obviously, but it also just makes me remember him as like uh, the the thing that's adding spice to the game and not like the meat of the actual dish. Um, and so I guess I guess I just want more of Cole and maybe that means I need to go read asunder and all that mm-hmm. and really get some of that backstory that happens there. Um, but it's um he's a character that I would also not mind seeing like return in Dragon Age 4 in some way and like mm. seeing more of how he evolves and I know that then creates issues of in terms of like what's who is he can canonically and all that and what's mm. he what's he up to and all that but um he is a character that I feel like I wish was more utilized uh, throughout the course of Dragon Age Inquisition because he is in in those moments that you do get where you get to explore this stuff it is really interesting um Keen because we haven't had you on much like what's kind of your relationship with Bioware at large are you more of like a Dragon Age or a Mass Effect person or like kind of you know where do you stand with this stuff at large um I've definitely played Mass Effect more um mm-hmm. Like I've I've finished the Mass Effect trilogy multiple times. I'm also like you know a diehard defender of Andromeda because I think a lot of people. Game. Would... Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I I think it's a well. This was a great. Game. We're gonna end it here. <laughs> um, um, oh. <laughs> also, I think it has like you know some of the most like absolutely outrageously stunning environments in any Bioware game, like the likes of Havaral and stuff are just unbelievably pretty to look at. Um, I won't get too much into Andromeda on, like, you know, uh, an episode on Cole in Dragon Age Inquisition. With regards to uh, Dragon Age, like, my introduction to Dragon Age is pretty funny because when I was, like, I don't know, like, 13 or 14 or something, um, I was kind of only, like, I played games as a kid and then I didn't play them for a few years. I was kind of getting back into them. And Mm -hmm. I got Dragon Age uh, 1 and I got to the Broodmother, but, like, you know, I wasn't really used to playing RPGs anymore. And... I got to the Broodmother and, like, you know, like a total idiot, I think I, like, my last save was, like, six hours before. Mm. And I didn't have enough potions to, like, beat the Broodmother or to get back out of the dungeon. Um, So, like, and also I was, like, 13 and, like, you know, really just a a total nightmare. So I I, I rage quit and went into GameStop and traded it back in and bought, like, FIFA or something. Um, But (laughs) then, like, you know, a couple of years later I went back to Dragon Age and a lot of people who are fans of the Dragon Age series, like, you know, I know a lot of people are not necessarily into Inquisition. Um, again, like, I, I'm a huge Inquisition fan, though. I, like, a lot of people say Bioware games died a long time ago. I think, like, for me, Anthem was, like, you know, the, the one where I was really like, oh, shit, like, you know, this is, like, an empty, like, world. Um, but yeah. I like Inquisition and Andromeda, and I'm totally okay admitting yeah. that. And we'll talk about that for hours on end if I have to. So. <laughs> well it's it's like multiple schools of thought right because you have people who are like oh well anthem was the nail in the coffin and then you have people who are like oh no it was andromeda they they screwed up mass effect with andromeda and then you have people who say like dragon age 2 was where it all went wrong and you go even i mean you can get to the point where it's like people are saying mass effect 1 was where it went wrong because it was bioware was making a cover-based shooter and not you know like Baldur's Gate and all that and that's that's why it feels especially weird now that like Baldur's Gate 3 is incredibly popular right now and it is like at its core it's a D&D game and it's a Larian game and it has you know wears that very clear on its sleeve but also 
you can clearly tell that Larian took some influence from modern Bioware and the way that they like present characters and do, you know, companions and cutscenes and romance and all that. Like that is very much modern Bioware in a way that original Baldur's Gate was not. And it, I don't know. It's I, I think there's a lot of schools of thought when it comes to like CRPG, like Western RPG sort of stuff. And the ultimate answer is like people are always going to like what they grew up with first you know there's always going to be that nostalgia for it but also like i don't think we're necessarily in a place where any of that's in danger per se it's just evolving with the times yeah Um, for for sure and i think it's really interesting that you brought that up because i think uh that was one of my favorite parts like i finished early access for baldur's gate 3 like last week and um mm -hmm. You know, one of my favorite because I haven't played D and D before. Um, I don't really know many people who are interested in it, so it's difficult to get a game going at home. Um, I've tried to convince my friends so many times, and most of the time they're just like, "No, I have, I am absolutely not." Um, so it was actually quite confusing for me at the start because a lot of the stuff, like I didn't know what a fucking cantrip was or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like as I was playing through it, like you know, the kind of that very evident implementation of like you know contemporary bioware like kind of kept me ticking along and it made a lot of the like you know more sort of highbrow stuff that i might not have known very much about prior to starting a lot more palatable um because i was getting these cutscenes with the likes of like gale and astarian and shadowheart and they were clearly modeled after that like you know where well, obviously like you had the D checks like you had like a deception check or a whatever intimidation mm-hmm. check but I mean that that wasn't far off. Like you know, like Mass Effect had similar things to that. Like you know, you could intimidate people, or like mm-hmm. you know, you could go Paragon or Renegade or whatever. Um, so, I, like you know, just because you brought it up, I mean, that was probably my favorite aspect of Baldur's Gate Three, despite being so consciously a D and D game in terms of how combat plays out and like you know all the dice rolls and whatever. Um, for me, like you know, what really sold it, especially through all the fucking bugs I got, was how compelling the characters were and how similar they were to sort of not even contemporary Bioware so much as like you know Bioware from like you know eight years ago or something mm-hmm. um, that like DNA is very clearly there see this is every episode of Normandy FM lately has been me bringing up Baldur's Gate 3 because I just want to make Ken just feel terrible that he can't play it right now because he doesn't <laughs> have a PC uh, so yeah this is me just really driving the nail in for this week <laughs> um but yeah it it does it, it's strange that i think I, there's there's a lot of desire to return to different eras of it too like i don't think it's um i don't think it's without reason that so many people want the mass effect remasters right now because there just isn't a company that makes games like that these days i think the I've mentioned this before, but I think the closest thing we'd gotten to it prior to Baldur's Gate 3 was, like, Assassin's Creed Odyssey was, I swear that game is, like, at least 50% a Bioware game because it has just crazy amounts of romance and dialogue wheels and stuff like that. If it wasn't, like, functionally an Assassin's Creed game, I'd say it felt like a successor to what Bioware was doing with, like, Dragon Age 2 and all that, but um, that's one of my spicier takes. Um but it's i yeah i myself i don't like andromeda i've i've said as much many many times on this podcast before but 
it is weird to get into this like place where people are like oh yeah you know bioware's lost their way forever and and they haven't made good games in years like no they've made they've made good games it's just like you know anthem was anthem (laughs) and um it's also like what an rpg is has evolved so much that it's it's like an it's an expensive undertaking these days like with how complex graphics are getting with how like rich these worlds have to be with how large they have to be with how many characters and voices and cutscenes and all that like it's understandable why you see less and less or fewer and fewer of these rpgs around so it's good to at least go back and celebrate like inquisition when we had a good one of these you know those many many years it was only five years ago but god it feels like a long time ago oh like uh, seriously like you know this weekend when i've been like you know reading back open stuff to sort of like refresh my memory like the only thing i wanted to do was reinstall it on my ps4 and just jump right back in for mm-hmm. like another fucking hundred hours um inquisition like you know as you said like you know it, it like it, it's cool to like you know five years later talk about an rpg that we had that was genuinely that good um and sort of had that much freedom in terms of how like you know things happen with companions and how the story develops and like you know how the world is actually constructed um i still think like you know aside from fucking coal and like you know bioware as a whole and stuff like when you look at um inquisition as like you know an actual like you know semi-open world rpg and you look at places like empires de leon and stuff like that they Mm, really fucking nailed that game um it's such an amazing place to like you know temporarily inhabit as a player um Mm -hmm there's so much character to every single like you know digital ounce of that game Um, it is really cool to celebrate it now like you know five years afterwards well hopefully we'll have many more in the years to come Kino, I want to thank you so much again for coming on. Everyone, again, for those of you at home who are tuning in, this is Norm DFM. We are a Bioware retrospective podcast. Uh, we are working our way through Dragon Age Inquisition. It'll take us through the rest of 2020, and when we get to 2021, we're going to start with Jade Empire, which I'm sure we're all very excited about covering. Uh, we have our Patreon, patreon.com slash normdfm, that you can head over to and back us if you would like to help us keep the lights on and purchase all these pesky bioware games we gotta play (laughs) because sometimes you gotta buy them on the new systems because the old systems just don't work uh every week we love to shout out the folks who support us at certain tiers on patreon and this week that is kevin kulikowski chris johns alice hawk colin just colin just reds just zach mickle and the wedge of destiny thank you all for backing us so much if you want to join you can head over to patreon.com slash normdfm and do the same or you can just head to twitter.com slash normdfm show where we post all of our updates and other various random shit posts that ken and i do ourselves keen where can the folks find you and your work um twitter um my name is keen mer but i mean i'll probably have to spell that because it's irish uh it is C I A N M A H E R and then zero. What well, was the zero because the original was already taken? Was that? Yeah, there are like, you know, there are probably like six Keen Myers in the world, but I wasn't the first one to make Twitter. And ah, damn. Also, zero is better than one. Like, zero is a pretty nice number. I, th- I think more people should use just the single zero in their. Uh, 
handles because you know it's it's a little bit different um it's also like you know it's an oval i don't know it, like, it rounds it out nicely I, I think it looks great it looks good i mean yeah aesthetically it's a good look on twitter the the one makes it kind of look like you're like an alt account or like a spam bot or something like i feel like numbers if you have too many numbers you start looking like uh like an anime avatar account so you want, you want to avoid that approach <laughs> um next week we will be covering colon the one the only colon and we will have a guest on one Le- leanna oh, god i i have met her before and i've asked before it is liana i, mm-hmm. I, I recently met a, a liana that's actually liana and that has messed me up forever because I've now learned that that name can be pronounced two ways, and it's just destroyed me for all life. I will never know. I will live in the forever not knowing of how to pronounce a name. But it is Liana Rupper. She will be here to talk about Cullen. It will be fantastic. Uh, Kian, thank you so much for joining us. We love having you on. We got to do this more often. <laughs> you play Jade Empire? We'll get you on here for Jade Empire. Uh, I was nine when Jade Empire came out, so no, I haven't played it. <laughs> I think most mm. of us were quite young when that game came out. So, I mean, it's going to be my first time playing it. Um, I don't think... Ken, it's not your first time playing it, right? No. No, I played through it twice. Okay. Back yeah. in the day. So, I will be going in blind. Ken will not. It'll be just like... It'll be just like Andromeda. It'll be wonderful. Yeah. Um, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Not completely like Andromeda. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you! <laughs> <laughs> but, Ah, look, we all we all get our, our anxieties out, and we all love to hate each other here on another wonderful episode of Normal FM. We have watched and waited. 